This is Notes by Kai, the podcast where we foster healthy minds in children through mindful parenting and positive connections with the adults in their lives, which includes parents, caregivers, teachers, uh, therapists, all of the above, different professionals that work with them. And this is actually Men's Mental Health Week. And I thought this was perfect to share this conversation with you all that I had with Miss Catherine about boys and their mental health and different things that you can do in parenting to help support them in better ways. And so we're going to do that. And thank you so much again for being here, for listening. Please be sure to share and rate us. Let's jump in. Okay, hello. We have Catherine M. Imabayashi. Yes. Okay, I did it. <laughs> uh, we have her with us, and we're going to talk specifically about boys. And we know that boys can be pretty difficult sometimes. Um, but, Catherine, would you like to uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started? Mm-hmm. Sure, and thank you for giving me this opportunity. Um, I am an early childhood educator, elementary years educator. I've been in the field for more than 40 years. Um, I was in the classroom, and then I also moved into leadership in the last 10 years and started up my own school uh, in Japan for seven years. Um, I've always uh, gravitated towards boys because I find them... um, pure and uh, loving and I know exactly where I stand with a boy and I love their energy, their raw energy. And so even before I started on this path, I uh, gravitated towards boys. Uh, When I had a son, um, it changed for me a little bit. I was very much part of the women's movement when I was younger. I grew up uh, with Uh, six siblings and only one of them was a boy so we kind of ruled women ruled and I really felt that I had it down pat on what it meant to be a woman and uh, for a woman to come up um, in society I really had no idea about a boy and so he started something for me and when this path of becoming kind of a, a boy advocate when that started, it was he was about three years old. So it's been about 25 years right now that I've been doing this. And what happened was that um, I had been in a little place that was a little bit isolated. He was three years old. We were fishing on the river. And a group of five boys came down a path, a little bit isolated, but not you know completely. And at that time, I was teaching grade six. And these boys came down the path. And there was something that happened so deep and so guttural, and it was fear, total, absolute fear, because they were male walking down. Nothing happened, and those boys were the same age that I was teaching, so more than anyone else, I should have known that they might have bigger bodies, but inside they're just little boys. And we had a wonderful time, but it started something for me. And 
I started to think about like, what, what's that all about? Why did I feel that way? And I thought I had no biases, basically. I thought I was pretty bias free on many, many areas. But what really changed it was when I thought, is that same thing going to happen with my boy? When he's a little bit older, is some other mother going to look at him or some young woman walking down the street and be filled with fear simply because he's a boy? And I just thought, that's not fair. And I need to find out what that's all about. And so that started it for me. And since that time, I've been giving workshops to parents. I've been uh, trying to write about it. And then uh, a year and a half ago, almost two years now, I retired. And so I decided that now was my opportunity to put both feet in and do everything I could to try to share with people um, how to have a deeper impact on raising boys and how to protect their emotional world better. So that's kind of where I am right now. I love it. I have always really gravitated towards boys too, and especially that middle school age, uh, late elementary, fifth, mm -hmm. sixth grade. Yeah, Love working with them because so many people just shut them out immediately yeah. and it's like give them a chance let them live please like they have such stereotypes on them the way that they act they don't get proper diagnosis like mm -hmm. it they really have a hard time absolutely yeah mama so in my family it's three girls and one boy mm -hmm. the boy is the youngest um and so he got a little bit spoiled, but then also, you know, felt treated differently because he was a boy. Yeah. Um, and there's a pretty big age gap between him and the rest of us. Like he's just now getting ready to turn 21, no, 20 tomorrow. Okay. So um, the rest of us are 20s, late 20s, early early 30s <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so um even with that like he and i were the closest because i really saw his struggle yeah. and where there were discrepancies in the way that he was treated sometimes and the way that he was responded to when he was doing certain things it's it's something that um one of the first books that I read when I started all of this, which was about 95, uh, it was by Dr. William Pollock, and he wrote Real Boys. And he was the first person that I think that coined the, the phrase, the boy code. Now there's other things talking about the man box, and basically the same kind of thing. But that whole concept of there's a set of rules that society basically places on our boys. And we unconsciously support that and by how we speak to boys, what we expect from them, what we allow um, for their behavior. And we really do put them in a box, but a lot of it is unintentional. And that's, that's the difficult part, because if you don't know what the problem is, it makes it more difficult to try to solve that problem. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So I had a couple of questions that um, 
people asked in my group, Parents Raising Mentally Healthy Children, as well as on my Instagram. And so I want to make sure we get those answered for sure. Sure. Um, so one of the questions was, is there a normal level of aggression in boys? Well, I guess that depends on how you're, you know, defining aggression. So if, you know, boys have a, um, in general, a, a tendency for more activity, they need to, that's the kind of learners they are, they need to move their body all the time. Their communication is enhanced when their body is moving. So I don't know that aggressive is the right word. It's kind of like when we're talking about women, we don't say aggressive, we say assertive. So aggressive is, it ha, I think, has a negative connotation to it. And I don't think that needs to be a descriptor for boys. They're physical. They need to move. They need to do the rough and tumble. That's, that's uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I agree. And I was thinking the same thing. It's like that word being associated with boys is so harsh sometimes. Yes, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I think we can definitely change the way that we speak about them and the way that we word those kinds of things. I think sometimes that concept of them being aggressive comes from this role that society puts on them. So because they can't be their, you know, true self, their authentic self, then they have to put on all these masks. And that creates feelings of anger and frustration and isolation. And sometimes that might come out in misbehavior. But I don't think the core of it is that because they're male, they're aggressive. I think society kind of pushes some of that behavior because they can't be who they really are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, another question was, how can we go about teaching accountability for boys at a young age, like beginning around four or five um, is what they said specifically, but teaching accountability for boys? Well, again, I don't think that has anything to do with gender. I think that's talking about intentional parenting. So um, if, if my little four-year-old guy uh, has some misbehavior, um, he needs to be held accountable. Now that looks different for different people. And so, like, I don't really believe much in discipline. I don't think that uh, it's necessary. But I think that accountability is a very important thing. So, and young, like really young, if a two-year-old hauls off and, you know, hits another little kid and they start to, to cry and everything, there has to be understanding and where that behavior came from and what the real intention was behind it. But then the accountability is just that, well, that little boy that, you know, caused this for whatever reason, intentional or not intentional, he has to do something to make it better. He is accountable. It is on him. So whether that is to give the little other little one a hug or it's to go get a tissue so they can wipe their nose or whatever it is, he has to assume responsibility for it but it would be the same if it was a little girl. The difference, probably the biggest difference about accountability is that whole, uh, the emotion of shame. Anytime a boy feels shame, uh, that's powerful and you are going to get resistance from that. So it's 
making the accountability in such a way that he still keeps his self-esteem intact. Yeah, and I think we talk about the lack of accountability in men, specifically when it comes to the way that they approach women, that women are often, oh, you have to cover up because the men, even in grade school, having those different dress codes and it always goes back to you're distracting the boys. And it's like, well, when do the boys become accountable for their own thoughts and actions and keeping themselves con- like focused? Why does that have to fuck like fall on us as girls and women? Um, but you're right. Even if we are intentionally parenting from the very beginning and making accountability a part of everything, then that becomes easier as they grow up and we don't have adult men who are blaming women for, you know, even women getting blamed for rape and, you know, things like that. We don't have that if we just start it from little and do it in every single area. There, there's a whole lot of components to that. And, and you know, the, the first thing that I was thinking, because I just did something um, not so long ago, an online challenge with people, but we started, we were looking at some um, music and music videos. And actually, one of the ones that uh, I used was that. And it was, you know, it was Boys Will Be Boys. And it was that the women, you know, the girls are the ones that have to make these changes and everything. But in the same light, it's the, it, is a, it is the message. And it is the, unfortunately, it's the reality of the world that a lot of us live in right now. But there's also the flip side to that. It's that song is saying that boys never grow up. They're immature, toxic males. And it's the women who grow up to be these intellectual uh, strong-minded, independent people, but it really uh, is a negative concept towards the boys. So one step further, sometimes what happens with that kind of, uh, they call that the boy mentality. So when a male doesn't grow into being a mature, responsible male, and he stays stuck in that boy psychology, and that's, um, there's some correlation between that and boys never knowing when they transition from boyhood into manhood. Like if you're a woman, you start your period, you're in the women's group, like with responsibilities and expectations that go with it. But there is no signal. So that the um, different cultures experiences with rites of passage, if we had more of that incorporated into our societies, maybe boys would become men and have a man's psychology more than staying in this boy psychology, but being in a man's body. Yeah, that's good. I never really thought about it like that. Like they really don't, unless it is part, unless they are part of a specific culture that does celebrate that new achievement, that rites of passage. They're, it's really nothing like maybe turning 16 and getting a car but even that is cultural in a sense so a lot of times what happens is that because there is no uh, official rites of passage that a lot of boys will 
you know, do things to try to create that. So whether it's something that's going to get them in trouble with the law or, you know, some, you know, they can go down another path trying to prove that they're not a boy anymore, they're a man. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, another question that we had is how can we divert to more appropriate behaviors when a young man is overwhelmed? What age are you, are you thinking, like, just so that I get a uh, better answer for you? So this person that asked their child is soon to be five. Okay. So, so different things will work for different children. Um, there's a few things. So if there's been some kind of an explosion or some, you know, meltdown or kind of tantrum or something like that, many boys need to, they, they, it's called, it's labeled kind of a, a timed silence. And for many boys, uh, regardless of what their age is, after something like that happens, if you try to sit down and have a conversation and talk it out, it's not going to work. It'll work with a little girl and women to women. It will work, but it won't work for the boys. So often if there has been something like that and then their emotions are just all over the place, he probably needs to have some time where he can just kind of get himself together. And then when he, you know, shows signs of being able to, you know, come back into the world, then that's an opportunity to try to get into whatever whatever it is. All children have something different too, and depending on what their um, you know communication skills are, it, sometimes you can tap into it easily. Like sometimes somebody will say, you know, I, I need like a little guy will say, I need to I need to hear this song or I need to watch this you know twenty minute little video and they know that it can change their feeling. When the overwhelm is there, it's kind of like when you're at the top of a volcano and nothing is going to be very effective. So you have to wait, you either have to get it before it gets up to the top of the volcano or if it's up there, you have to give it that space to cool down so that you can be effective with your communication. And these two questions kind of go hand in hand, but one asked specifically about fostering self-confidence in boys. Um, and they asked about specifically around eight years old and then also helping them to embrace their own identity. Okay. Uh, sorry, the, the eight-year-old, what was the first part of that question? How do you foster self-confidence in boys? Okay, so again, all of this, the younger you start it, the better it is. But there's something that happens when, when boys are around eight years old and uh, there's some hormonal changes. And so sometimes you will have a child who has been really self-confident, has a good sense of self-esteem, and then he hits this phase and he takes a nosedive and he starts, you know, being a little bit depressed and and it just, things change, but it's hormonal and it will pass. Uh, but the younger that you start all of those things, um, the more effective that they're going to be. To build up a child's self-esteem, they just have to feel power. So you have to, you know, 
try to think of like avoiding anything that's going to be embarrassing or if something happens that could be interpreted as being embarrassing you don't put any focus or anything on it so that they get that feeling that you know they become more resilient they don't let those um, things stop them from trying again in the future and the more that they can build up their self-esteem because boys put on this bravado that's expected of them but inside it's you know it's it really needs a lot of nurturing for them to really really have that confidence um, to 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 deal with everything that's going on in the world for them in the boys world yeah and I think we see a lot of that still as they grow up into adulthood is that you see these men who on the outside they appear hard and strong and all of that but when you really peel back those layers yeah. there is a lot of nurturing that needs to happen but i think even sometimes more than girls and women need sometimes i think but i think it's more so that we focus it so much on girls that it's more natural and we get it from birth really um in throughout most of our lives we'll at least have one or two people that really like oh she needs to be nurtured and you know different things like that but with boys we don't really think about it and so then they grow up with that whole piece missing and then we're like what is wrong with you <laughs> there's there's a few just really kind of mind-blowing experiments that are connected exactly with that one of them was done with infants in like still in the hospital and um, you know, like putting the pink cap on the baby or the blue cap on the baby and then monitoring how people interacted with that child. And it was different. Even if, you know, it wasn't that. If they thought it was a girl, that they were more, um, they used the emotional language. They cooed and awed. And, and when they, you know, held it gentle and, and very soft and, and just, you know, pouring out the love. With a little boy, they would still, you know, I mean, babies are, you know, yeah. beautiful. So, you know, but it wouldn't be the same. And the language wasn't the same. And the way that they interacted wasn't the same. And there was another one done by BBC, and it was a little bit older. It was like a toddler age. But they intentionally put uh, female clothes on the little boys and the boys' clothes on the little girls and then had people come in. And what was really interesting was that so many of the people, when they found out that they were treating boys and girls differently, they were adamant that they, they really thought that that wasn't them. They were sure that they would never have done that. So it, it's all this unconscious stuff. So you think of a little boy and right from the get-go, he's not getting what he really needs. He needs just as much love and nurturing, if not more, like you said. Mm -hmm. But he constantly is not getting that. So you got to think, what's that doing inside? Like, how many of you know the problems that boys have throughout their life could be so much better if we just recognized, you know, they have very very similar needs. There is a lot. There are differences, and when they're understood and respected. It'll make things better and communication smoother. And but um, 
and we do them no service by not being aware of where this you know gender bias stems from yeah absolutely and <laughs> i don't know if you saw but there was a big debate um going on about a month or two ago about buying boys kitchen sets and it just set the internet on fire and i was like oh, are you kidding yes like i mean just the most outrageous arguments that i have ever heard about gender roles and i'm like but men men cook like yes not, the most <laughs> famous chefs in the world are male are men. yeah and i always say that men that know how to cook a lot of times their food is better than women sometimes um yeah. But yeah, it's just insane the way that we program them and then growing up feeling like, oh, I need something different, even when it comes to the things that they want to do in life, you know, yeah. like yeah. forcing boys to be into sports and they're like, no, I want to draw or yeah. I want to yeah. paint or I had one kid that I got to meet with um, very briefly, but he was stressed out because his parents wanted him in basketball and he enjoyed basketball, but he was like, really, I want to be a scientist. Like I want to go and do these other things. And it just broke my heart because even science is not something that, you know, in society is considered to be super girly or anything, but he was like, this is what I want to do, but no one's listening to me. They want me to focus on basketball and I don't really care about basketball. I like it. Yeah. But it's not that big of a deal to me. And it just breaks well, my that heart. That story is, too, it's just too common. And, mm-hmm. and I don't think, you know, I don't think we really understand as parents the power we have. Like, it is huge. So, you know, the phrase that's become popular in the last, I don't know how many, this decade maybe, about intentional parenting, I think it's a beautiful one. Because, you know, when you just go on autopilot, then you fall into all of those stereotypes. You, you do things that, you know, you're not even thinking about. It's unconscious. And that just, you know, when you start doing things intentionally, when you start to try to, you know, kind of dig a little bit deeper and understand, you know, what, what's going on. So I just had a... Um, a client yesterday and I was talking with her and she was talking about her little boy and he's four and a half and they had gone out for uh, he was on his bicycle and and they were on a bicycle ride and a dog had come up Um, he was off the leash and he had run into the little boy knocked him down scared him to death the owner of the dog came over the little boy was you know stiff upper lip and and um, said he was fine the owner so apologetic and and then went away and the little boy turned to his mom and just had a meltdown it was like he knew he was safe with her to let all his feelings out but he also and it broke his mom's heart she said because then he also must have known he couldn't show that without feeling embarrassed to a stranger and like he got knocked over by a dog. He was four years old. He should cry, you know, it's, but that's, and she does intentionally parent. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's something that we all kind of have to come together and, and um, 
like there's been such wonderful support. There's still a lot, you know, there's a long way to go for women, but there's been a lot of support since the 60s. It has changed drastically and so many wonderful things and still so many places to go. But I can't say the same thing about boys. I don't think that we've moved very far along the scale at all, although it's starting. Yeah, it's starting, but I agree. There's still a much, much longer way to go in every area with boys. Yeah. So with the parents that you work with, what are some of the most common things that you work with them on or helping them to, to recognize? Uh, I'd say there's three basic ones. And one is just trying to really uncover the, the unconscious biases that we have, the stereotypes that we don't even think we are putting in place, but that we are. So that's a big one um, because that goes back to your own history as well. Um, the other two biggest ones I would say are communication and you know how the whole concept of communicating and that it's different and hearing and then behavior those are the the three top ones yeah yeah okay do you see specific behaviors that um do you work with a lot is it impulses is it um i don't know do you see more specific things no, it's more, no, like, um, no, most of behavior and, and discipline is just connected with, you know, some deeper emotion behind it. So the behavior itself can be, you know, show up in a variety of different ways. But nothing, you know, nothing like this, this type of child will, you know, have this kind of a meltdown or will, you know, lash out and, and be more physical or, you know, melt down and, and have a cry. It's, it, our focus is more on there's some behavior that is not acceptable for whatever reason. It's not serving the child or the family or anyone else well. And it's trying to figure out what's the, what's the emotion, what's the root cause behind it. Because once you get to the root cause, then you can make changes. And if you're just dealing with the behavior, then you're probably going to discipline. And if you discipline based on the behavior, you're not putting the connection to the child uh, in the forefront. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I talk about on the podcast often, as well as on Instagram and things like that, is just connection is what matters the absolute most. Yes. And when you have that and the connection is strong you really don't even have to discipline as much because that in itself it builds the respect it encourages them to do the right thing they really don't have a reason to do a lot of the behaviors that we see um, because that is the underlying part of most everything that that we do so yeah Okay, Uh, any last things that you feel that our parents should take away? The earlier 
parents start looking at what are the differences in raising a son, in parenting a son, so that he doesn't become a statistic, so that he doesn't fall into the trap of, you know, a life that's not really authentic, that's not everything he is. The sooner that they can start that journey, the better it's going to be for them and for their son. So I would really advocate learning more, listening to podcasts, reading blogs, taking courses, getting a coach, whatever they need to do, but invest in parenting because they are the most powerful people in the world as far as their sons are concerned. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking this time to talk with me. Um, tell the people how they can reach you and find more on you and your information and connect with you. Um, the easiest way is that my website, it's sunhood, S-O-N-hood, coaching.com. Um, I have a presence on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and um, almost everything is on the website. I have a free mini course and people, if they go through the three sessions with it, they will get a glimpse, a taste on looking at their own gender bias. They'll look at communication and they'll look at behavior. So that might be a way. And then my website information is on that as well. That might be a way for some people just to get, get a head start on it, see what it is that they don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And all of that will be in the show notes. So be sure to connect with her um, and subscribe, connect on all the social media, tell her notes why Kaya sent you. Um, and thank you again so much. I appreciate you. Thank you very much for coming, for, for letting me come and speak with you. It means a lot to me.